0: Welcome to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Hello, I'm Fraser Allen and my guest for this episode of the Scottish Business Network podcast is Russell Dalgleish. Before this chat with Russell, I really only knew four things about him. 1, he's a serial entrepreneur. 2, he's very tall. Three, he is a very snappy dresser. And fourthly, together with Christine Essen, he's the founder of the Scottish Business Network. The SBN is a rapidly growing organisation that connects the Scottish business diaspora across the UK and across the world, creating valuable contacts and opportunities. I've been attending its monthly gatherings in London for the last couple of years and find it really useful and good fun too. And it was through getting involved with the SBN that this podcast started up. So, it was very interesting for me to hear more about Russell's journey from the border's town of Selkirk to his life as a global entrepreneur. It becomes clear that he has always been someone who is good at spotting the opportunities of the future and is much happier travelling the world with his laptop than sitting in an office. Yet despite that wanderlust, he retains a strong sense of pride in what Scottish businesses can and are achieving, as his establishment of the Scottish Business Network demonstrates. You can find out more about the network at sbn.scott. But now, over to Russell, who I chatted to at the Institute of Directors in Edinburgh. This podcast was created by White Light Media. Find out more about how we can help your business at whitelightmedia.co.uk. So, Russell, uh, let's begin by getting a flavour for what life was like for you when you You began your career, you get an idea for your hopes and ambitions as you set off into the world. And where did you come from? What's your your background? So I was born in Selkirk, in the Scottish borders, in 1964. My
1: family was very well known in the town. Um, The family had been there for in the borders or in the Yarrow Valley for about 400 years. Um, My grandfather was provost of Selkirk and my other grandfather was headmaster. So I think they probably had quite high hopes. I went to a normal primary and secondary school there. Rather a unique primary school. I think it was one of the few primary schools in Britain which actually had a rifle range in the cellar. <laughs> Didn't become popular. The school was quite normal. Very um, great, great rugby playing um, right, right. part of the world. So I think I was... You're, you're I was a good, probably... good build for a, a rugby <laughs> player. The, for yeah, those not aware of Russell's 6'3". Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, so was everyone else. And they were all much faster. But the, I, I built up a, a, a great desire to, to see the world and to um, experience what was outside Selkirk. So there was kind of, in my head, there was two ways to do this. One was either to pass exams, which I wasn't very good at, or to do something like to join the army. So I tried to focus on those two options and um, managed to get together enough exams to go, in, to go to college, as it was then. So I went to Napier College. I, went to study, I wanted to study computing because I kind of reckoned that that was probably what the future was about. But I didn't have good enough grades. I wasn't really smart enough to do computing then, which seemed to involve quite a lot of screwdrivers. So instead, I did a business... I think it was the second year there'd ever been a business computing degree at the college. So I spent four years doing that. I was very fortunate at college in the fact that we did a, a sandwich course. So that meant that I spent the third year... Um, Four to eight weeks of that year, I was employed on a, a subsistence wage by one of the banks in Scotland. Right. So that gave me tremendous experience by the time I graduated. So it was a very simple decision for the bank to say, well, do you want to come back again? Mm-hmm. So that led me to spending the first five years of my career uh, as a technologist working at Bank of Scotland, as it was then. So what, what next? Well, it, I, I suppose that was my first... Um, Major career decision, which was after five years at the bank, I had a meeting. I was called in and I was told that I had two choices to make. I could remain being a technologist or I could start focus on becoming a banker. Uh, Both were reputable um, trades at the time. Uh, And I kind of mulled it over and instead decided to resign because I didn't really fancy doing either of those jobs because they didn't really meet my desire to Um, you know to travel and to experience new things so I went to join a company electronics company in Fife for a couple of years and then went on to join going to the disk drive industry based at Glen and that really met my need for um, new experiences so I joined this company just after it had IPO'd and spent four and a half years there helping to build up and support international developments and use of their products, a lot of travelling in Europe and then laterally, a lot of time in Japan, Taiwan, a in China, and a lot of time in the States, particularly the East and mainly the West Coast. So it gave me a tremendous exposure to the world and to opportunity and to how Scots were perceived. You know, in, on East Coast America, you were either Scottish or Irish. That seemed to be a thing. Mm. Um, uh, there was a great interest in Asia about what was life like in the kind of part of the world I came from. Right. And there was a lot of understanding that there was some tradition and some history there. And I learned a lot of history. You know, a lot of the lot of the things that we've done as a, as a nation and a country that we're not particularly proud of. And so it was an insight into all of that as well. And then an adoption of technology at the same time. So... I think I've had a laptop since 1994. So that kind of gave me this idea that you could be on the road and you weren't tied to being at a desk. Right. And I've, i got kind of addicted to that because I found that the best way to sell or promote the company I was representing was to spend as much time as possible at the customer's premises. So that's kind of fun. What was your laptop like in 1994? I can't remember. It was quite bulky. It was an IBM one. Right. Yeah. They loaded up Microsoft Office from... Um, discs, so it was a 26 disc set, so you would sit down and watch a film and start plugging in CD after CD, and then discover there was a fault on the 26th disc and uh, it start again, so it was, uh, but it's, actually the technological change that we've seen I don't believe is as, as dramatic as sometimes we think it is, because you know, we were using email by the late 90s, mm. and that's how we were communicating, we're still kind of using email now you No, know, we were using Text came along as well, and instant messaging to me is an mm. extension of text. So yeah. a lot of this stuff's incremental. I feel very fortunate. I didn't continue my career in a bank because it's an industry that's gone through incredible change mm. and caused tremendous, tremendous stress and pressure on individuals and their families and going through that. So I, I feel lucky that I had the chance to sort of take control over my own destiny to a certain extent. But you know, I, I did end up in those offices because you know, I, the final company I was running in by 2009 it was a 200 million turnover international business with staff all over the place so right. it was kind of you, you do kind of you take these different career strands and there was an inevitability of that that all came about because I got involved in turnarounds in London and you would go into companies and if you were if you were able successfully to turn the business around the investors were very keen for you to stay there and, right. and drive yeah. and grow the business so yeah. they could exit it yeah. so what, what was the business that you were talking about then? Um, I got uh, um, I did uh, in the two thousands, I worked on three separate businesses: one three million, one twenty million, one two hundred million. But we would go in, try to do a turnaround, then grow the business. And the last one was owned by Bechtel Engineering Company. Right. So I think that's something that's quite unique about my experience is that I've worked in a number of different sectors, mm-hmm. which I've discovered over time is quite unusual. So finance, investment, um, fund management, but also uh, a lot in technology, a lot in engineering. Yeah and then the roles within those industries being different as well you know support marketing sales and then up to sort of the executive level
0: so uh, you see the same themes running through each of these industries presumably you can you can pick out up the I, same I, patterns
1: i run an advisory business called exalta and what we see is a great great similarity between businesses that sometimes if you are the business leader yourself, it's, it's difficult to see because we all see our own companies first and we all see the unique challenges we face. Mm-hmm. But there's tremendous similarities between the challenges all businesses face. So that, that, that was something that definitely came through. You, know, you can be a baker or you can be an oil company. Sure, but yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah. There's great similarities between yeah. the fact that it's people, it's process,
0: it's markets. So, um, Russell, could you give us a, uh, an idea now of the various different business interests you currently have? Because it's quite a broad range of things you're involved in.
1: Well, I primarily do three things. So my primary time is spent with Exalta, which is my advisory business. So that, what we do there is we work with companies which have grown to a certain size and have kind of got stuck. So you kind of, um, you know, some of the conversations we've had ourselves, you know, about how do i move the business on to the next stage and we have tools and techniques and strategies and people to help make those decisions and then we roll up our sleeves and we help to facilitate the change so exalt is the main thing that we do and exalt is right. based out of london um, the second major part is scottish business network which is a uh an attempt at the moment to build the largest network of scots around the world and the goal of that is to help Scottish businesses to go national across the U.K. and international. So we're run events all around the world, primarily in London, and then most of the time we spend doing connections. So, someone will come to us as a Scottish business and they say, We're facing this challenge, this problem, and we'll try to make a connection to help them resolve that. So, it could be we're trying to raise money and we're finding it difficult in Scotland, so we'll raise them, invest, introduce them to investors in different parts of the world, or it could be we're trying to do a transactional business, we're trying to get into this company, can you help? So, we've built an entire database of Scots and senior positions around the world who've indicated the fact they would help. So, so we've got that part. How, did, how did the Scottish Business Network come about in the first place? Um, I think I'd been in London for since 1998, working there, but living in Scotland. And I'd always felt there was a, a, a need to bring Scottish people together, because I saw this in the Irish community, in the Jewish community, and a number of Eastern European countries as well. And there was nothing really seemed to bring Scots together. So we decided to try and hold a, a, a small event. Um, Standard Life Aberdeen helped us by providing a room in early 2016. So we brought together a lot of Scots in London, put on a couple of speakers, and then at the the second part of the meeting involved, everyone sat around in a circle and we said, is this the kind of thing we want to do again? Um, What are people looking for from this? There was a lot of interesting debate. We then took a decision to go ahead and then we started to build out the, the network from then. It was primarily supposed to be a network in London. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think we've got a couple of hundred members in London and the Irish diaspora network's probably about 17,000, 20,000. So you can see the, the scale of opportunity there. But we then got um, a lot of inquiries from Scots around the world which took us into international opportunities. So we've put on events in um, in, in the States, in the Middle East, planning those in Asia at the moment. Because we find the events are quite good because it kind of brings to life what we do. Mm. But primarily what we are is we're a matching agent.
0: So we help you get to where you want to get to. Uh, And do you have a vision of how big SBN could be five, Um, ten years from now? I I think it's quite difficult to put
1: a precise number on it, but definitely it'll be the largest. So if you think we've got a couple of hundred members at the moment, we've got probably several hundred members at the moment, we've also got a community of about 8,000 around the world. So these are Scots who we are and we we made a connection with and we understand that they're interested in helping scottish businesses so we've got to that scale on you know very little money a lot a lot of favors from people so a lot of our members have then come in just as you're doing this podcast we've had members who've come in and done our branding and helped with our sales Um, and we've now so we originally partnered with members now we're partnering with organizations and they're going to provide um, hot, hot desk space and soft landing support to Scottish companies coming into um, cities around the world. So the first cities are going to be Shenzhen in China, Dubai in the UAE, and London. So it's, it's that kind of thing. So A lot of it's favours and a lot of it's just asking for people. But to my mind, that's actually a major component of business is I'll help you and you help me and we both move mm-hmm. our businesses forward. But yeah, the You're third part smart. is that I've got, um, I've got um, investment interests and um, non-exec roles with a number of companies, primarily technology companies, so I do that and then I have some um, uh, pro bono work that I do, so I sit on the boards of a couple of organisations, I was judging the Association for Scottish Business Women um, Business Awards yesterday, so I do things like oh, that as well. And yeah.
0: um, what about uh, outside work, what are your interests? Um,
1: endurance events have become the dominant interest really? so I'm um, nursing and injury ultra running is this? no <laughs> it's um, it's sort of what we discovered was that it was really quite good fun to do multi-discipline events hmm. so the next event is a, a a 10k run an 85 mile cycle and then a half marathon over a mountain <laughs> final, finally ending with a kayak so, so it's that kind of thing so it's kind of it's right, really good right. fun though but uh, what it's forced us to, the, 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 the guys the ones of us who do it hmm. is we've all managed to get fitter have you always been very fit? no I was, um, I was uh, overweight I think in my late 40s without really realising I'm so tall it's kind of difficult to notice so um, in the first year I think I lost a stone and a half and then became fit so I'm probably fitter now than you know, I've ever been in my life mm-hmm. and, th- and that's good as well because that's, that's showing you know, the, 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 the changes in our society how you can go about doing these things
0: You've had a very varied, interesting career and lots of exciting things ahead of you. Uh, it'd be quite nice to end up by reflecting on your career to date though and maybe pick out some of those classic mistakes everybody makes in their, in their lives that you've really learned from uh, and perhaps some of the people who've inspired you during your career as well. Well, the mistakes
1: one's really easy because I have no recollection of any mistake I've ever made because I make the mistake <laughs> and then block it out of my mind. Uh, it's a trick my mind does, which is very, very good. Um, but to be honest when I have made mistakes it's tended to be just an expensive learning lesson right. so I'm, I'm quite good at seeing them s- s- make the mistake see the problem happening, experience the problem and go through it hmm. work on a resolution because problems can typically be resolved and then move on from there and then work out how to recoup the loss if it's financially in the next deal or the next opportunity. So I've tended to do that with mistakes. And it's kind of important to have that approach when you're me because you want to go on taking risks. And it's sometimes is some of the mistakes. And you know, I got involved with a, a, a fraudster a couple of years ago and that really knocked my confidence, but it took a while to recover, but it did recover. Mm. And, and that, like everything else, I've discovered is it's about... It's about the strength of your relationships with people and it's a, so, so my career is based on trying to help people so even when I was a sales guy in my head what I was doing was I was trying to help people so I would like you to buy this particular product or this software but actually because I know if you do that your life will get better so that was, that was always the, the link to that so a major lesson has been about this relationship with people finding ways to assist In in my my definition, my skill set is in business, so it's people who tend to run businesses. So I try to find ways to help someone who runs a business. Now, it can be, um, you know, I I know I get accused quite a lot of being arrogant because it can be the fact that I almost can't control this need. So if I meet someone and they tell me this is what my business does, I'm anxious to offer advice or guidance or thoughts. But that's not requested so you know you've got to get to know someone first until they're keen to do that and um, so I'm very fortunate because I've, I've had a lot of different experiences and I have very large networks so I can typically help someone so um, trying to find a way to help someone is to me is the key to business because we talk about what goes around comes around and it does but it's not linear mm-hmm. so, so you, you'll help someone and then they'll help you in some future moment in a different way. And that's what, that, that's actually been my, my career's been all about that. And I, I'm really pleased to have that feeling because it's, I think particularly when it's, particularly at the moment when it's helping young people. So we have, a, we have some, we have some major problems in our society, but one of them probably not a major one, but it is an issue, is people coming out of universities who are struggling to find employment opportunities. And I'll I, I help there by trying to see how I can um, offer projects or work with those individuals, and then they get an insight into a new network or a new opportunity, and that's really satisfying. That's very very satisfying. Plus the um, the businesses that we've managed to help that have seen success.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much, Russell. That's been really interesting. No problem at all. So, there you go. A man very much with his eye on the ball. And we'll be featuring Christine Essen Russell's co-founder of the Scottish Business Network, in the new year. One intriguing thing that I know about Christine is that Ian Rankin included her as a character in one of his books. So we'll find out more about that. I'm Fraser Allen from White Light Media, signing off. Bye-bye for now.